Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm David Felton, broadcasting from the Naddle Valley south of Keswick, and I'm speaking remotely and at a good social distance to author and illustrator Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello, David. We're together again. Hooray! Are you taking advantage, Mark, of the new relaxed regulations? Well, not yet, but um, I... My plan is, middle of June, to go and do a proper fell walk in the Lake District. Have you got any ideas, Mark, what your first post-lockdown fell walk will be? Well, I thought I'd go up Grange Fell. Brains Fell? Grange Fell. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a favourite in autumn, isn't it? Did uh, Wainwright write that in autumn the steps up to Grange Fell were like a walk to paradise or something? That's right, a stairway to heaven. Stairway to heaven. Hmm. Up from Troutdale. Well, that sounds very good. Now, on the subject of first fells, we did invite, didn't we, our listeners to send in their first fell intention after lockdown was relaxed, and in theory, I suppose, some of them may have started doing that already. So um, we read out a few last time round, but we've got a few more left. So you go ahead, Mark, give us a, a, a bit of a taste into what our listeners have planned. Well, certainly. Uh, Alison Freeman, who many of our listeners will probably know as a newsreader on BBC, Great Gable is her favourite. How I miss thee, she says. <laughs> Very poetic. My usual birthday treat from Seafoot, she says. Well, there you are. Brian Gott, my walking pal has 19 to go to finish his round of the Wainwrights, so we'd like to go head for the Coniston Fells and do Weatherlam, Swirl Howe, Great Cars and Grey Friar. That's a great mountain day. Oh, thoroughly. Uh, David Fish, a stroll up Lanadale Knots. Quite modest, but then he's going to go up Whiteness Pike and view, uh, uh, get onto Wanda, and then perhaps round onto Grassmore. So that great view over Crimmett Water will be a special treat. Tell you what I love on Wandup is that view down into that hanging valley. Yes, indeed. It's a definite quarry uh, looking down into Rigbeth's side. Um, and then Richard Kavanagh. Uh, nice to dream, isn't it? Ennerdale, I think. A long route to Pillar and Steeple. There you are. Enjoy a valley. Get all the benefits of wild Ennerdale. Rhea. Luffrig, since I still have to build up my uh, strength for after an illness earlier this year. Also, because we can go to Apple Amble before... I think that's, that, that's a Twitter thing for the Apple Pie Bakery in Ambleside, I would think. Well, if it's open, at Apple Amble. Uh, then there's a few more on there. I've got Lauren Cafferty. I'm thinking either Fairfield or the Kentmere Horseshoe. And after walking, if we're allowed, a little YHA stayover and visit to the pub. All three of those things were great, weren't they? They were, yes. And actually, um, if you do the Fairfield Horseshoe, your nearest YHA to Journey's End there is wonderful YHA, Waterhead, which has, I think, one of the best beer gardens in the lakes. Who knows? But it, it does look like it will be gardens first doesn't it so if you can get your food or drink and sit outside that will be allowed and sitting at waterhead with the swallows dipping and diving above you with a pint of the local is about as good as it gets who else we got we've got jeff cox here 
It's the Howl Gills, he says, that I miss. Long, lonely, grassy runs, particularly over in the east of the range, when the only concern is giving the fell ponies a wide berth. Boff Wally. In 2001, the ban on public access across farmland due to foot and mouth, which lasted most of the year, was lifted first in Scotland. I remember heading up from Yorkshire to run up Ben Nevis as some sort of declaration of freedom and relief. Absolutely. Well, that's the spirit. And finally, we have X Beer in Southwark. <laughs> I'm fortunate in that I can see them on a walk from my doorstep, but looking forward to a circuit of the Langdale Pikes and maybe a pint or two after in the old Dungeon Gill. I mean, he's clearly not in Southwark, is he? <laughs> no. X Beer and also X Southwark, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously got a very long telescope. Right, so Mark... Enough of that kind of thing, and on to today's podcast. We are combining two of my passions today, uh, walking, albeit virtually, and folk music. So give us a little bit of an introduction, Mark, into what we're going to be talking about today and who our guest is. Well, first of all, our guest, Sue Allen, who writes for Cumbria Life magazine and did a PhD under Angus Winchester, our last guest. So she's somebody who has studied particularly traditional music. She's got herself got a great uh, breadth of appreciation of the heritage of the area, but she's fine-tuned it particularly to her love of folk music. And she's been involved with IRB Festival for a number of years and knows a great deal about the origins of the traditional music and is involved with that that scene as it is today. And Sue's particular interest is Cumbrian folk music and hunting songs and a lot of the dances and tunes that have been popularised in this county in particular and actually particularly Cumberland as well. We are starting our walk today in the village of Ierby. So let's go and meet Sue now. Well, Sue, this is a magical moment to be with you, virtually in Ierby, beautiful little village, tucked right at the very northern limit of the Lake District National Park. It's a, a village with a lot of magic about it and very special to you. Could you describe it a little bit? To start with, I'd say where it is, is what's commonly known as the Bacchuskida. That's where Ierby sits, in the edge of the northern fells, in a valley there. And it's a working village, and it still is, a farming village and a working village. It actually had a market charter at one time, 1237, that began. It was counted as a market town then, but it is essentially a large village. It still has a bit of its market cross remaining. Used to have, when I first knew it, two good pubs, a couple of shops and the village hall called the Globe Hall. It's still got the Globe Hall and only one pub and, of course, no shops anymore. 
Interesting, of course, the name itself, the Irishman's Settlement. That's right, yes. It's a migrated place, a very early Viking settlement. What drew you to that village? Well, it was music. I mean, I was born and brought up in Wigton, and I got interested in folk music. Well, soon after I started playing guitar at age 14, which I learned at school, um, and I got into traditional folk music, and a very good, sadly now dead, friend of mine called Angie March and started these folk music sessions at the pub in Ierby on a Friday night and I would beg, borrow or steal a lift up there even when I was sort of in the sixth form and there I first learnt about music and songs that were Cumbrian, hunting songs and dialect songs and Angie was a great um, singer and protagonist of those and lots of people came from all over the county to those little singing sessions at the Sun. It's obviously a, a place that music has migrated to. Funnily enough, some of my forebears go back to the Sun as well, or probably the Sun, certainly one of the pubs in Ierby, which was run by a chap named William Peel, who was known as Cock and Bacon Peel, presumably because he sold local farmers chicken and ham um, when they came there. And Cock and Bacon Peel was the grandfather of John Peel the Huntsman. So my Peel roots go all the way back there. And my mother's father was a Williamson and only recently have I found that all my Williamson forebears came from the Northern Fells as well, though mostly over to the Corbeck end. Uh, folk music, it's difficult to define what it is. So there isn't a standard definition, but it tends to be what was played in an informal setting, face-to-face, -face, by people, um, perhaps in a pub, perhaps at home, perhaps in a barn, perhaps at, at a country gathering like a harvest festival. The tunes that I'm talking about were largely, but not entirely, fiddle tunes originally. There's a great tradition of Lake District fiddlers and quite a lot of them left manuscript tune books for us, which is great because we can then plunder that, as it were, to use, as the Ellen Valley Band did, for playing for country dancers and Kayleys. The songs these days are sung in folk sessions in pubs and they might be, there are very few folk clubs anymore, but there are festivals and Ierby has one of those as well. Um, and then, you know, all the different sorts of dances from clog dancing, there's a Lakeland tradition of that, uh, to country dancing, to Morris dancing, all of that. Uh, but it's what the people were doing, whether they first were done by aristocracy and they moved down to be done by um, the country people or vice versa. It's what was done on the ground by people like you and me. That's fascinating, this range of music and different responses to being out and about and being together. It's, a, it's all about people. Ivy does seem to have a very distinct dancing tradition and a dancing school. Well, every village and town would have had a dancing school because those fiddlers I was talking about were dancing masters and they used to travel around the county. But one report we do have is of one at Ierby, and this was John Keats writing in 1818 in a letter to his brother Thomas. 
He was doing a walking tour around the north. And he writes, after Skidder, we walked to Ierby, the oldest market town in Cumberland, where we were greatly amused by a country dancing school holding at the sun. It was indeed no new cotillion fresh from France. No, they kick it and jump it with metal extraordinary and whisk it and frisk it and towed it and doed it and twirled it and whirled it and stamped it and sweated it, tattooing the floor like mad. The difference between our country dances and these Scottish figures is about the same as leisurely stirring a cup of tea and beating up a butter pudding. <laughs> he really felt the dancing, didn't he? And so what kind of music would it have been that would have caused this great animation? Well, it, it would have been the fiddler playing and it would have been hornpipes and reels and jigs. The Lake District particularly has a tradition, it seems, of, of hornpipes being popular and being used for clog dancing. But, you know, reels, three reels and, uh, of course, the famous Cumberland Square Eight, which people may have learned even at school. Uh, and these were the, some of the dances we used to play at our Ellen Valley band, Cayley's at the Globe Hall. And his description could just as well have described ours. They were wild. Now we've got a little bit of a virtual stride ahead of us. We're heading east. Could you sort of outline how we're going to move through the landscape across the northern tip of the National Park? Well, we'll head to the village of Oldale next. That's the next door village to Ierby, waving en route at the hamlet of Russet, where John Peel, the huntsman, uh, lived for much of his life. Then past Oldale and Affertree Fell, we'll go over Callback Common and its fine views of all the northern fells, walking past the Fellside Road, which takes you to Ragnagill, Gill, which is a wonderful mining um, area. And then on past Greenrig House and Park End, again associated with John Peel, to the village of Colbeck. And Colbeck's hugely interesting village, lots to it, um, where a lot of my relations came from, where I lived for two years, and where the Colbeck goes down to join the River Caldew, uh, which then goes on to Carlisle. Right. Well, there's a good a feel for the journey. And why is it your plan? It's because this land is where I feel rooted. This is my place. This is my spiritual home, if you like. And it's where the music leads me uh, across the Ierby Fells and my forebears. And I love the sense of space on the northern fells less claustrophobic than in the central lakes. Obviously the fells are lower, but they're always less busy. It's nice and quiet and it's a real working landscape. Now let's get walking, Sue. We're leaving Ivy. Our first destination, which is Oldale. And what's Oldale famous for? Well, it's, it's another little farming village and it's got a very nice pub there, now called the Snooty Fox, but once upon a time it was called the Georgian Dragon. And it's one of the pubs that the Blencathra Foxhounds use. Um, every December, they, they have a big shepherd's meat and hunt meat combined, and they end up for a good hunt supper and a good sing-song in a pub. And this hates, so one year it'll be a 
Old Ale, and then the next year it'll be at Callback, and it effectively rotates around the Skiddle Massif. So after Callback, you get to Mungrysdale, then Threlkeld, then Bassenthwaite, back to Old Ale again. So that's six years worth of shepherd's meat and hunt meat. But there's a little lonning up beside the Snooty Fox, which used to be a road, but is now no longer drivable. And that goes to Affertree, which is now, what, a couple of farms and a couple of houses and Affertree Fell, on which there's a Romano-British settlement, um, three enclosures there, the sort of Celtic British people who were there. Well, they might have been there before the Romans or they might have been there after, around that time. So, you know, 100 AD, maybe, that sort of time. And there's three large round enclosures. You can see the humps and the bumps if you walk it on the ground. But if you seek out an aerial view, because that really makes sense of it first. It's a limestone upland. So that's probably why it remained uh, untilled and then for, therefore not enclosed and remained common. And I expect there was those Romano British settlements all over the place, but it's just that that survived because of it being sort of barren ground in a sense. Anyway, so now we're heading over Affertree. Um, where are we heading to next? We're off towards Colbeck Common and across the common, which is wide open space with the fells just beside you. And we walk past the, the fells. You can see the High Pike is the main one above Colbeck. And you can see Carrick Fell in the distance. Um, and... We pass the signpost to Fellside, and if you go up there, there's a wonderful little valley to walk up called Routon Gill, and it was a mining valley. They mined copper there, and all the spoil heaps are there, and the mine shafts, absolutely fascinating. In Elizabethan times, they used to say that the Colbeck Fells were worth all England else. Not all the minerals were precious ones, uh, not things you'd necessarily know, um, like barites, for example, which I believe was added to talcum powder and white paint. And there was a mine we could always see on our trips to Colbeck with my grandmother. And she said, oh, yon's brightest mine. And I thought she meant bright, brightest mine, because it was whitish colour on the horizon there, but in fact it was Barites and it was the Potts Gill mine above Colbeck. Oh yeah, it's further on, isn't it? Of course, I, I, you were saying about the great open views, you can see Skidder. It's a real peak when you're looking at it from Affertree angle. Anyway, we're heading towards Green, uh, Green Rig. Green Rig Farm was where jo John Peel um, lived um, from he was three weeks old, so he was brought up there. He was actually born at Park End, which is down the road a little bit. And that Park End is just where we come off the common, off the open fell, over a cattle bridge, back onto the lane leading to Colbeck. You go through Welpo. Yeah. Yes, we go through Welper, which is where there's a, <laughs> there's, um, a lot of lovely little tiny horses, um, Falabella ponies. And then as you go down into Colbeck and you see the school ahead of you there, there's a lovely long a Cumbrian longhouse on the left called Toddcroft. And that's where, it's a farm, and it's where I lived for a few years and I loved it. It's supposed to be haunted, but we never ever saw the Grey Lady. But I do wonder if the Grey Lady was perhaps Mary of Buttermere, the beauty of Buttermere. Um, the scandal when she married the bigamist, 
uh, Hatfield, who was then hanged, um, she was rescued, as it were, were, by a wonderful callback farmer called uh, Richard Harrison. And Richard Harrison farmed at Trodcrofts, and his initials are on a barn there. And uh, it was a great pleasure to live in in um, Beauty of Buttermere's house in Corbett. Absolutely. Uh, Todd Crofts, it, the, something to do with the fox, obviously. It, you can never get away from the fox around the Northern Fells. Well, we're just about to arrive in Colbeck. This is a great moment, I rather fancy, for us to have a little musical interlude. Perhaps you could suggest, Desert Island, this fashion, what tune is appropriate for now? Well, I think it would be rather nice, um, it, since we're in the Northern Fells, to have something of Keswick. Keswick Bonnie Lasses, which is a tune that was written, it was a hornpipe, by the Lakeland fiddler William Irwin of Elterwater and is most splendidly played by the Lakeland band Striding Edge with Carolyn Francis on the fiddle. That was fabulous, wasn't it? Now, you lived in Colbeck for a time, Sue. Where did you ramble when you were in Colbeck? Well, living at Toddcrofts, as we did, the nearest place and the most beautiful place was the Hulk. If you know any Cumberland dialect, you'll know that to hulk something out is to scoop it out. And the Hulk is a big scoop out. It's a limestone gorge, which the river, which is the called Beck flows through and the there's two ways to it the bottom way from the village and the top way was across the field right next to our house right next to Todd Crofts so after a hard day's work in the newsroom at Radio Cumbria for example I would come back and the best de-stress in the world was to walk over the field Across the stile, down the wooden steps to the little wooden bridge over this enormous waterfall going down, um, and the fairy kettle, as we as it was known, was would be boiling. It's it's where the water sort of swirls round and scoops the rock, and it looks as though it's boiling. So it's known as the fairy kettle. Every season, the halk was different. In spring, it smelt of uh, ramson's wild garlic. Um, in the summer, it would be cool if it was hot above. In snow and in frost, there'd be icicles hanging from the limestone walls of the gorge, 
just wonderful. But it actually was a controlled, managed river. It powered the water wheel of a bobbin mill just along from the Hauk. So when it's flattening and widening out, and it's still there, it's been consolidated by English heritage, and there's a, a interpretation board. I think it lasted from the middle of the 19th century to 1924, and it employed lots and lots of people making bobbins from the woods round about for all the cloth, because Corbett was a working village, and especially a woolen village, weaving, weaving Herdwick wool um, in particular. One of the main mills was called Hoddencroft, which wove the hodden grey fabric that John Peel's coat was made of. It was a working village and it had a brewery, which is now cottages, of course, but it was a busy industrial place. Mm, yes, it, and it still has a sort of buzz to it to this day, I always find. Whenever I come into Hot Corbeck, I instinctively want to stop. It's not somewhere you drive through easily. You just want to stop. There are some interesting places there. The church is quite a focus, isn't it? St Kentigern's Church. It's one of the many Cumbrian St Kentigern's or St Mungo churches. My good friend, it means. Yes, that's right. And it's a lovely church. And in the churchyard, there are some notable graves. John Peel, uh, of course, it, it's well, uh, well signed. You can see where people have walked to it and it's, it's white and it stands out. But also, back to the beauty of Buttermere, the same people are <laughs> going through this. The beauty of Buttermere is buried there in the um, Harrison family grave. Richard Harrison married. Being in Colbeck, and all the cultural connections of the place. It's nice to return back to the theme that you started upon, the whole musical origins. Where did music come from? How did it travel to the area? Well, it both travelled to here and some of it developed from here. For example, the hunting songs, the dialect songs. But a lot of the, the basic folk song repertoire would have come on broadside ballads and little songsters sold for a halfpenny at a country fair, at um, one of the big cattle fairs or horse fairs like at Rossley and Brough. Rossley was the largest cattle fair and horse fair, but certainly the largest cattle fair in the north of England because it was on a major drove route from Scotland. So all the drovers came and from Ireland and all over to Rossi Fair. And it didn't, wasn't just held once, it would open at Whitson and was then held every fortnight till September. There's a lovely description of it, very brief one, in um, one of Robert Anderson, the dialect poet's uh, ballads in the Cumberland dialect books. Um, his friend, uh, Thomas Sanderson, wrote the notes for it. And he wrote a note about Rossley after Anderson mentioned Rossley Fair. It's on a hill, a bare hill now. You can't see much there with a house in it. One part of the hill is covered with horses and black cattle, with dealers, drovers and jockeys. Another part is overspread with the booths of mercers, milliners, hardware men and bread bakers. Here you see the mountebank, the hawker and auctioneer addressing the gaping crowd from a wooden platform. And there... You hear the discordant strains of the ballad singer, the music of the bagpipe and violin of the fife and the spirit-stirring drum. Amazing. 
So these are very evocative place where people were coming. They were trading, culturally interacting, musically, and and that was the magic of it all. I mean, remember, there's another one on the eastern side on the Deer Street. Yes, twice a year, people would go to be hired for their next farm job, and that was their social life. That was where they met their partners. And we have lots of descriptions about turn of the 19th century, about 1800, of hiring fairs happening in places like Wickton, Cockermouth, Penrith, Corbeck, and everyone, you know, walking around, the farmers would go and pick who was going to be the next people to stay with them for a six-month term. And they'd give them a shilling, and then they'd all go and spend them in the pubs and have a good dance and a play. And the fiddlers made a load of money that day. But And the fiddling tradition um, goes back to at least the, the middle of the 18th century, perhaps. Before that, we had lots of pipers. There'd be official town pipers. Pipers would entertain the farmers uh, shearing sheep at a sheep shearing, at a clipping, uh, or at a corn supper, a harvest supper. Um, and perhaps lords of the manor would employ a piper or a fiddler to come and play for their... There, there was a lot of intermingling of classes. It wasn't just the people at the bottom. And, and a lot of the songs might even have come from London and from the uh, the theatres and the Vauxhall Gardens especially, which was um, Pleasure Gardens. Well, we've heard about the fairs. How about in December when you have the Merry Meets, which are very special events? Yes. The Merry Meets were usually held in uh, a Christmas town, would be put on by a local inn. But they're the typical sort of dancing event you might have also at a fair, to be honest. And Robert Anderson, the Cumberland Bard, wrote about one at Bleckle, which is Blackwell, we'd say it now, on the edge of Carlisle at the White Ox, a pub that was near the race course. And I think the first verse just gives a right flavour of it. Eh, lads, second murray neat, we've had at Bleckle. The sound of the fiddle yet rings in me ears. All re-clipped and healed were the lads and the lasses, and money a clever lish hissy was there. The better the sort sat snug in the parlour. With a pantry, the sweethearters cutted sis oft. The dancers, they kicked up a stewer in the kitchen. Atlanta, the card lakers, sat in the loft. Atlanta was a card game. I can hop back now. We're still in Colbeck, and you mentioned about John Peel's grave, that white grave, very prominent. Interesting that we have this one person representing a, a whole culture, in a sense, of the hunting tradition and the things that go with it. So, can you lead us to explain a little bit about that culture? and, of course, the song itself, ultimately. Well, there's a great hunting song tradition in, in Cumbria. When I was doing my PhD, a third of the repertoire of folk songs found in Cumbria are hunting songs, and they emanate from the six fell packs. And by a fell pack, we mean those packs who hunt on foot over over the top of the fells, where you couldn't really take a horse. Though, to be honest, in John Peel's day, he often used a pony because uh, the ground they covered for his hunt was much more extensive. He'd hunt almost all the way to Carlisle, as well as as far the other direction. But in general, it's on foot today. The fell packs, we call them. And Blencathra is the one that covers Corbeck. We'd never known nothing about John Peel if it wasn't for his friend, John Woodcock Graves, who wrote the song about him. And he was a mate and a fellow huntsman of, of Peel. 
Peel brought up, as we said, in Colbeck, and he eloped to Gretna and married um, his wife, who, whose family had a little small holding at Russet, which is where they settled. But he never settled much to keeping it as a small holding. He was a horse dealer as well. He was obsessed with hunting. He even went hunting when a child was born or even one of his children had just died. As <laughs> he still went hunting that day. And my great-grandmother used to say, I didn't know why folk Mexica fussa John Peel. He was nout but no drunkard. And his pony was famous for being trained to be, to be able to take him home. They'd throw Peel lying across its back at the end of a session, the end of the night after the singing and the drinking in the pub, and it would take him home. He was a colourful man and he was the archetypal gift to a, a lyric writer. John Woodcock Graves, who wrote the song, actually came from Wickton and though he trained as a sign writer and was quite a good artist, and we have a couple of pictures he did of John Peel, he wrote the song, uh, he lived in Colbeck, he was managing what I talked about before, one of the woolen mills, Hoddencroft, he managed it. And uh, they were sitting after a hunt one night and that was in the house just at the back of the pub at Colbeck. It's now called the Oddfellows Arms, but it was called the Rising Sun in Peel's day. And um, Woodcock Graves related how he wrote the song, but 40 years after the event, so it's a bit sentimentalised and romanticised. He says, We sat in a snug parlour at Colbeck, hunting over again many a good run, when a flaxen-haired daughter of mine came in, saying, Father... What do they say to what Granny sings? Granny was singing to sleep my eldest son with a very old rant called Bonnie or Canny Annie. The pen and ink for hunting appointments being on the table, the idea of writing a song to this old air forced itself upon me. And thus was produced impromptu, dear Ken John Peel with his coat so grey. And immediately after I sung it, Poor Peel smiled through a stream of tears which fell down his cheeks and I well remember saying to him in a joking style, Eh, by Jove, Peel, you'll be sung when we're both run to earth. Well, Sue, you've provided us with a space special recording of this iconic song. Could you explain the recording? Yeah, it was an archive recording recorded with a, a lot of other songs, a lot of them hunting songs, at two pubs in villages around Carlisle in 1953, with a view of preserving the songs for, for posterity. And this particular version of, of John Peel is sung by the wonderful Mickey Mosscrop. And he was a fabulous singer around lots of pubs in North Cumbria. And he gave recitations and he loved singing. His wife would accompany him on the piano. He was a tweed salesman as well, and a pest officer, as he says, um, getting moles and all the rest. And if you ever go to Grasmere, there's a bar there called Tweedy's Bar in the middle of Grasmere. And that's called after him because his nickname was Tweedy. And he used to sell rolls of tweed at Grasmere Sports. So, uh, and he won prizes for singing John Peel um, at Eskdale Show and at celebrations in Colbeck. Now I've just come into the plow in and Jack Mounds here asked me what I do with these plus fours on. Well, being the pest officer, I wear plus fours. But now ever I'm finished with that work for the day, so I'm going to sing you John Peel. Do you can John Peel with curtsy grey? Do you can John Peel at the break of the day? 
die Kenjan Peel. And he's far, far away with his hand and his horn in the morning. Twas the sound of his horn brought me from my bed, and the cry of his hand as me up time bled for field view alone. Over the wake and the dead are a fox from his lair in the morning. And I followed John Peel, though often and far of the rasper fence or the gate of the bar, for Lord Denton Hall up to Scratch Mill's car, where we vied for the brush in the morning altogether. For the sound of his horn brought me from my bed, and the cry of his hound as me up time led. For Peel's view of oh, what a wake and the dead are a fox from his there in the morning. <coughs> then here's the John Peel with my heart and soul. Come drink to him, lads. Come fill up the bowl. We'll follow John Peel through fair or through foul. If we want a good hunt in the morning, twas the sound of his horn brought me from my bed, and the cry of his hound has me up time fled for a pill view. Lord, awake and a dead, or a fox from his lair in the morning. Wow, I'm still, my foot is still tapping. That was really great. Now, we were back in the churchyard at uh, St. Kentigan's. Um, these are great places for weddings as well. Yes, it's not just, uh, yes, the gravestones that are of interest in the church. It's a lovely church at the best of times, very atmospheric. But it was also a place that was um, written about in terms of a wedding by the Cumberland Bard, uh, Robert Anderson, who I mentioned before. And he wrote a long dialect poem called The Colbeck Wedding. And it would be nice to um, just read a couple of verses of that, if I might. They sing of a wedding at Wharton, where all was fight, fratching and fun. Fay, second yen we've had at Colbeck as never was under the sun. The bridegroom was Weaver, Joe Bewley. He come frae about Lothar Green. The bride, Johnny Dorton, lished out her. And Betty was wheel to be seen. And then we hear, we see them all going along to the church and there's a sort of procession of people. First thing, Ogle Willie, the fiddler. Caught in, we all Jonathan Strang. Next, stiff and stout, lang, lame and lazy. Frey all parts come in, we a bang. Frey Brocklebank, folders and newlands. Frey Hesket, bookheads and the height. Frey Warnell, Stenmare, Never Welton. And aught where Frey Eitenfield Street. It was what they call a bidden wedding, where all the friends and neighbours from all around were called into it. Can you remind us about Robert Anderson, please, uh, so? So little known today and so well known last century. There was quite a phase, uh, a 
fashion for dialect writing in the early 19th century. And one of the best known and best loved of all, and because lots of his poems became songs, dialect songs, was the chap who became known as the Cumberland Bard, Robert Anderson of Carlisle. He was born and bred in Carlisle, born in 1770. So this is his 250th anniversary of his birth and I've just written a book about him. Um, and he he died in 1833. He was born into poverty, but he had a little bit of education, and he was keen on education, really keen. And um, he even, he became um, a pattern drawer in the textile industry and went down to London at one point. And I mentioned about London songs coming up here from Vauxhall Gardens. When Anderson spent his two years in London on an apprenticeship, he went to Vauxhall Gardens and was so disgusted with the so-called Scotch songs that were sung there that he set about writing some himself, which were in fact sung there. They were set by the composer James Hook and they were sang at Vauxhall Gardens. But those were not songs in... Um, dialect. They were songs in standard English. One of them, Lucy Gray of Allendale, is said to be what inspired the Lucy poems of William Wordsworth. Um, and when, when Anderson came home, his friends, he, he must have turned out the odd rhyme in dialect and his friends said, you're really good at this. Why don't you write a few more? And he ended up publishing collections of Cumberland Ballads. So why did this style of origination become so popular? Yeah, and there were already dialect writers here. There was Ewan Clark of Wigton. There was uh, Josiah Rolfe of Severum was one of the earliest. And their works, little extracts for them, were then published in the histories of Cumberland that were coming out at the time, and the guides, West's Guide to Cumberland, Wordsworth's Guide to Cumberland, and would include little extracts of this for local colour, because this was at the time when antiquarianism was coming into its own, uh, um, sort of a romantic antiquarianism, if you like. And so people were interested in old things and things that were specific to um, the peasantry or whatever. So he was catching a bit of a zeitgeist. But just the local guys in Carlisle and all the surrounding villages just loved it, partly because Anderson wrote about real events and sometimes real people, and he got into trouble for that. Um, but, he, you know... He depicted these roistering events like the Corbett wedding, the Orton wedding, the Blecklemer innate. That was that was his forte, <laughs> depicting that. But also slightly then romanticising the peasants as all having fun. We don't see so much of the other side of things, really. But you've got to remember, this is a time in the very early years of the Industrial Revolution, and that was another force for dialect. Uh, generation and looking backwards. There was this looking backwards always to this golden age. It was a period of enclosures. It was the period when life was very much changing and people were moving into towns to work. So this, the antiquarian movement was looking backwards and dialect sort of became part of that. Though Anderson never stopped being one of the lads as well. He was, he was very much a boozer in the pubs of Carlisle and the village inns roundabout. 
Burns was also hanging into that zeitgeist of, of looking back, but Burns could boast of being a Scottish nationalist and a national poet. Anderson could only ever be a regional one. But what I find really interesting is his first collection in standard English came out 1798, the same year as Wordsworth's Lyrical Ballads, when Wordsworth claims to be writing in the language of the common man, but never uses any dialect whatsoever. Yet we know he knew of Anderson because he was a subscriber to the 1820 edition of Anderson's Ballads. Had his book, but never, never mentioned that. <laughs> right, well, it's about time we left Coldback. I'm sure we'll return. We'll go down the Coldback and head to join the, the Cold View. That water's meet is down some lovely meadows and woodlands, uh, a nature treasury down there. It's absolutely idyllic. Like the Hauk at this time of year in the spring, the aroma of all the wild garlic will be all over you. It's wonderful. And the waters meet. It's such a it's such a romantic place. You can imagine, you know, sweethearts meeting down there from the village because it's just a very short step up, really, then into the village. You emerge at Heskett New Market, which is just a mile and a half from Colbeck. You emerge at Heskett just uh, beside the children's park and the few little allotments they have right opposite that wonderful pub in Heskett, the old crown. Well, this is a, a prime moment for us to tune ourselves into the beautiful music that you particularly have a great affection for. Can you say a, a few words before we play the music? Well, this is going to be the Cumberland Square 8 tune, which is My Love, She's But a Lassie. Uh, it's actually it's popular across Scotland and the north of England, um, but usually used for the Cumberland Square Eight. And it's played by a band called the Boat Band, who uh, played a lot of well, principally local tunes. It's from an album of theirs called Trip to the Lakes. And uh, the guy who who leads the band is called Greg Stevens, and it was him that first put me in the way of local tunes many, many years ago in the 1970s. And it was him that, you know, sent me on my way to find the originals, as it were, and sent me lots of tra his transcriptions, which we used in the Ellen Valley Band. And the Cumberland Square 8 was the dance you always had to have at a Cayley. <laughs> Thank you. 
we've in effect got to journey's end but that heskett Newmarket is a lovely place to stroll and that lovely green strath right through the middle of the village and the lovely little pub the old crown it's been great fun too i've, I've loved this uh, travelogue through the musical life that you uh, embrace so well i think we ought to try you out on a few of our quick fire questions which it's become a little bit of a tradition with Country Stride. My first one, actually, is more timely to our current situation, accepting that social distancing is going to be with us for quite some time. Um, when you feel a little bit more relaxed and able to get out, where would you like to explore first? I'd probably pop up to Corbett and go around the Hauk, to be honest. Um, I, I really would. And then I'd be up at Ierby to the pub, <laughs> to, to the pub. Is. Elsewhere in the lakes, I always like the edges. I avoid the middle. Uh, I don't like being where all the tourists are. I love up on the Pennines of Alston Way. And I, I worked for many years at Eden Arts and helped run the North Pennines Storytelling Festival. And we, we took people down the mines at Nenthead. And that area is also fabulous. And I like the coastal area, the magic of the... You know, I will avoid the high peaks if I can. You, you've uh, evoked so many lovely memories of your own, and I can visualise these places. Can you give me, or give our listeners, uh, your very first Lakeland memory? I guess it would be Keswick. I guess it would be getting a boat at Lakeside at Keswick and going out in one of those lovely lake don't water rowing boats. Um, that would be one of my earliest. So what would be your favourite lake? Well, I do love Dome Water. I feel very attached to that, but it's it's very busy. I think, again, I would pop to the edges of the lakes and either pick somewhere like Lowe's Water, lovely Lowe's Water, or one of my favourites, back towards the Corbeck Fells or behind the Corbeck Fells, Bowscale Tarn at the back of Carrick, where live apparently two immortal fish. Absolutely. In early Victorian times, before they realised about glaciation, they thought it was a crater of a volcano. (laughs) (laughs) Wainwright or Wordsworth? I have reservations about both of them. Am I allowed to say that as a Cumbrian? Absolutely. About both of them. I'd probably plump for Wordsworth, being a person of words myself. Right. Okay. Natural history. Red squirrel or Herdwick? Oh, that's a hard one. It is rather. Oh, obviously red squirrels are gorgeous and I love seeing a red. Um, But because I think I have to plump for Herdwicks because I love their smiley faces. And also I always claim that me, like the majority of Cumbrians, are like Herdwick sheep because we always come back to our heath. Have you uh, a favourite Cumbrian hero or heroine, dead or alive? I wouldn't probably not go for my relations, John Peel, or or even Robert Anderson, who I've written about, because both of them were also drunks. I think they can be better role models. (laughs) Um, Dorothy Wordsworth, I have a lot of time for Dorothy, and she was very observant and she engaged with the local people far more than her renowned brother did. And I would also have to say, for his massive support of this county and this town I live in, Melvin Bragg. Well, Catherine also reminded us a couple of podcasts ago about Dorothy's intuitive connection with the people. And certainly Melvin Bragg, 
a great advocate of the county. So could you give us what would be your perfect Lakeland day? Well, my favourite cafe and bookshop is what I'd head for rather than the top of a fell. But there are lots of walks on the way because my favourite cafe is Matilda's in Grasmere, which is wonderful. Scandinavian menu next door to the wonderful Heaton Cooper studio which is just essence of the lakes for me and Sam Reed's bookshop and then the Wordsworth Trust and all all they have their museum which will soon be open with new exhibits and everything and there's so many wonderful walks around Grasmere around the lake itself in which you can go wild swimming or a Pelm crag see the lion and the lamb Yes, or Grasmere when Grasmere sports are on, or better still, Grasmere when the rush bearing's on in July. Well, I, I'm sorry I'm not going up the high fells for you, but um, <laughs> not all of us do. <laughs> no, no, no. It's lo and behold with you. <laughs> um, now, if you were the Prime Minister for a day, what one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria? I'd... Um, Invest in farming. Invest in the farmers and the commons, particularly the commoners who look after the fells, um, and give them a voice and give them the money to be able to continue. And one of the main re- ways I do that, if I want to be political, is not allowing cheap imports of American meat, but support Absolutely. our British farmers. Keep it local. Well, it's been a wonderful time, Sue. I, I hope we get a chance to actually get together on a proper walk or a stroll. I've greatly enjoyed our time together. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. It's been fun. Well, Mark, my foot still tapping, remembering those tunes and songs, and particularly that fabulous performance of uh, John Peel. And what a wealth of colourful characters and fascinating insights into not just the landscape, but but also the, the, the heritage of that area. Yes, she's explored the area very thoroughly and... Um feels very wedded to it. It's a community that she reflects beautifully. Yes, something of an honour to have somebody related to John Peel himself and also with connection to the Maid of Buttermere as well. So it's uh, it's a small world, Cumbria. It always is, isn't it, Mark? It is that. A little bit of um, the usual kind of housekeeping. You can find many of our past episodes. How many would it be now, Mark? This is the 31st. There we go. Rely on Mark to provide us with the vital statistics. 30 previous episodes online at www.countrystrides.co.uk. Please do get in touch with us. We love hearing from you. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. At Countrystride One. And we relish hearing from our good friends many from far-flung places in America and all over the world. It's marvellous. People go on long journeys. I've got a friend who uh, told somebody who's a long-distance lorry driver across the United States who he 
listens to Country Stripe on those long drives. Well, that's, that's great. You can also email us by visiting the website and there's a, a contact us form there as well. So please do get in touch. But for now, from Cumbria, we're saying we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>